Tour de France is here, and in the last few days, we've seen a ton of tech news come out of the bike industry. One of the biggest stories we've seen, Trek has unveiled its new Madone aerodynamic race bike. What's an aero bike? It's a bike that's been designed specifically to cheat the wind. Now, in the past, we've seen a lot of aero bikes have kind of harsh ride qualities because they're designed kind of like time trial bikes, and that's an area where the new Madone really sets itself apart. It has the adjustable top tube ISO speed. This is technology borrowed from Trek's Domane line. And what it is, is a piece of technology that lets you adjust the compliance of the bicycle. Trek claims that the new Madone is up to 17% more compliant over its predecessor with the ISO speed. The new Madone also has disc brakes or the option for rim brakes, and it has a very adjustable stem bar combo that lets the owner be able to uh, find a better fit than in previous models. These aero bikes had you kind of locked into one or two different settings. Now, the sky's really the limit. So for more information, check out velonews.com. We have a first ride review of the new Madone on our website. And if you're watching the Tour de France, keep an eye on Trek Segafredo because they are racing the new bike this year. Thanks to Trek for sponsoring this week's episode of the Vel News Podcast. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Bevel News Podcast. I'm Dane Cash here with Andrew Hood. Hoodie, where are we right now? Good question. We are in Fontenay-le-Comte. Oh. At the end of uh, stage one of the 2018 Tour de France. Finally, after months and weeks and even a year of anticipation, the tour has clicked back into gear. Yeah, it's been quite a build-up to this Tour de France. We've had... Uh, all the normal excitement of the build-up to a Tour de France, but we've had some added interest with the Chris Froome case, which I guess was resolved a couple of days ago. At least the UCI told us that it was resolved a couple of days ago. Uh, we are now here at the Tour de France in France, and uh, the racing has begun. So, you know, I guess we're, we're focused on the racing like the UCI wanted us to be. Well, you know, there's kind of that, that kind of that's almost true because at the, at the start today, we went down to uh, this island, you know, the Passage de Gouin, one of the famous scenes of, of, a, of a tour many years ago in 1999 when the, the Peloton actually raced across this cobblestone road that's buried in the high tide half the day, and then the, the tide goes out and they raced across this little causeway. Today they didn't do that. We went back to this kind of place. The ambiance was there. It seemed like that you know, the media sometimes get obsessed with, with that Froome case. And a lot of people on social media get obsessed with the Froome case. And, but you went out there, it was, it was encouraging to me at least to see the French people totally embrace the tour. Oh, absolutely. I because feel like we, 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 drove out, we drove out there at eight this morning, we had to go out there three hours before the start of the stage to get across the, the Causeway Bridge. And uh, driving out there, the mist was coming off our little camping ground last night. And man, people were out there at eight in the morning, three hours before the Peloton. Was all they were gonna do was just roll past. Yeah. It wasn't a climb. It wasn't a sprint. It was literally five k's from the start of the stage, and literally the whole road was lined up. Yeah, waiting all morning for yeah. just a couple of seconds of a race to roll by. I, I totally agree. I felt like people were really coming out for the tour. People seemed very interested, despite all the, the madness of the last couple of weeks. So yeah, we're. We're in, we're in Fontenay-le-Comte and we're just kind of at an outdoor restaurant right now. We've, we've now 
witnessed the first stage of the Tour de France, which was your uh, first stage of the and Tour, and my very first ever <laughs> in-person stage of the Tour de France. How's that feel, Dave? It feels pretty good. I'm pretty happy to. I'm pretty happy to have the first one done, and you know, now it's it's on to uh, infinite more. Hopefully, uh, the first stage was a little more interesting than we, I think, anticipated it being. It was a sprint finish, as most people expected, but boy, was there a lot of action in the general classification. So. To, to kind of catch you up if you don't know what happened Fernando Gaviria won the sprint there as many people expected him to he won pretty handily over uh, Peter Sagan was in second Marcel Kittel in third but I think the real news of the day was the general classification quite a few big names lost a lot of time today with uh, just a number of crazy things happening in the finale we had crashes we had punctures uh, Chris Froome, Richie Port, Adam Yates, they all rolled home something like 51 seconds, I think, behind the leader. Uh, yeah, I mean, we expect this first week to be hectic, but uh, were, you, were you seeing 51 seconds lost for the defending champion on the very first day? That was a surprise to see Froome uh, lose that time because typically he's protected inside that envelope. But it just kind of reconfirms that that notion that anything can happen at any moment in the Tour de France, be it the first stage, the last stage, in the middle of a stage, or the sprint finish. Because the whole day unfolded, it was almost kind of a, like a little uh, jaunt along the west coast, uh, the Vendée coast here. These kind of these these big tide pools that kind of go in and out. We saw last night we had dinner along the coast. These cypress trees and this forest, really unique part, a very rural part of France, and it's it's a place where it's kind of a hotbed heart. Uh, place where you know cycling is very entrenched in this part of France. That's why they came here for these uh, the Grand Depart. And the first 180 k's of the stage was kind of just uh, bothering along there, and uh, that really much happened. And then, man, the last 20 k's, the pressure ramped up. The sprint teams went to the front, and it's just like, man, anything can happen. And that just shows you the Tour de France. It's like concentration is required at all at all moments. Yeah, there's been a, a lot of talk. I think the last couple of days about the uh, the ninth stage of the Tour de France. So there's cobblestones, of course, being a big challenge for the GC guys. No cobblestones on today's stage. Ended up being a huge day for the GC. We saw so many big names get uh, left behind a little bit. We mentioned those guys, you know, Froome, Port, Adam Yates getting 51 seconds. Uh, Nairo Quintana, he lost a minute and 15 because he uh, ran into a traffic island, broke some wheels, and the domestique that was assigned to be there for him, uh, Jose Joaquin Rojas, got caught up in a crash. So uh, Nairo Quintana lost quite a bit of time. I mean, fortunately for Quintana, there were other people losing time as well. But it was a day that ended up being so much more interesting than we expected. I mean, Chris Froome, as you as you said, he's one of those riders that you feel like he's always in the right place at the right time. He doesn't get caught out. You know, Quintana's been caught out before. Froome, not so much. Yeah, I mean, we saw the replay actually with, uh, I think it was Vellon had that, that race video. You know, that kind of perspective, you know, that's something new in modern cycling where you have the, the camera mounted just below the handlebars. And we saw Froome just fly off the road. Initially, the reports were it was relatively, you know, oh yeah, Froome just kind of trundled into a, a little grassy knoll there off the side of the road. It's like, no, man, he flew off the bike going 60K an hour, barely just missed a concrete pylon, literally by centimeters, and then landed quite heavily into what was a grassy ditch. You know, had there been a, a, a culvert there, anything, oh, yeah. a tree, you know, his tour could have been over right then and there. And that just proves that this first part of this, this, this tour is gonna be so demanding, so treacherous that, you know, as, as Nzue has been saying from Mobistar since the, the route was announced last fall, that there's, this is a tour of two parts. It's the first half 
all the way to row bay, and then you just almost start over and said, who's still standing after that row bay cobblestone stage? And then the real fight for the, the yellow jersey starts then. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I, th- I think with, with Froome, the strange thing was that there weren't a whole lot of teammates around. I mean, usually you feel like he's he's swallowed up in the sky train. He doesn't have to worry about anything. If anything happens, somebody's going to be there. But it didn't really seem like that this time around. It seemed like he was a little bit isolated at a time when I guess nobody expected anything to happen, maybe. I don't know. But but uh, he, he definitely very quickly found himself watching Tom Dumoulin, Vincenzo Nibali, Roman Bardet, a number of these guys just suddenly pick up 51 seconds on him. Uh, who do you talk to? Garrett Thomas today, I think, at yeah, the we finish caught, there? We caught Garrett Thomas at the, at the finish. I mean, Garrett, he made it through. He's in the front group. Um, and uh, here's what Garrett had to say after the stage. Yeah, as always, really. It's uh, first week's always a bit chaotic like that. And uh, the first 180k was fine. It's just the last 20, which was a bit bonkers. But uh, yeah, it's a shame because we were all in decent position. Missed the main sort of crash. But then Egan and uh, Froomey individually had a bit of bad luck and got caught up. And uh, yeah, it, not ideal, but not the end of the world. You know, he was, he was with Richie and Quintana was behind him. So arguably his two sort of strongest rivals. So um kind of a positive I guess if you can take one <laughs> and how was the pressure out there uh, today and how was the welcome yeah it was alright it was uh, to be honest when you're racing you just focus on the race And uh, but yeah it was, uh, it was a pretty warm day which was uh, yeah it was nice for a change so uh, yeah all good how, about, how are you looking forward to tomorrow yeah same again try to uh, well not exactly the same try and stay upright and, uh, <laughs> but yeah stay at the front try and stay out of trouble but Every 170 riders are trying to do that, so uh, it's tough, and that's what the first week's like. So, well, rest up tonight. Best of luck. Cheers. Thanks. Yeah. How was the atmosphere on the roads today? Jeeves, the crowds friendly. There wasn't any nonsense, was there? Yeah, no. Oh, there was a few boos and stuff, but yeah, no, it was uh, it was fine. All right, so that's Gary Thomas, whose team leader, Chris Froome, again lost 51 seconds, suddenly finds himself a lot further back after the first stage than I think most people expected. We sort of mentioned some of those guys that didn't lose time, Bardet, Nibali, Rigoberto Uran, Tom Dumoulin, uh, a lot of riders that are pretty dangerous. One consolation, I think, for the, the, the Sky Riders, and for Movistar for that matter, uh, who, who have Valverde, Mika Landa right out there in, in the front group as well. I think some of those guys are going to lose time in the TT, the Bardes, the Nibelis. They're going to lose time in that team time trial. So that could equalize things a little bit. Speaking of the team time trial, BMC, I think, is going to do a pretty good team time trial. And while Richie Port may be caught behind a little bit, I don't know if anybody's picked up on this yet. TJ Van Garder finished in the front group today, along with Greg Van Avermaet. So BMC with a couple of guys up there. And I think it's worth noting, it is entirely possible that TJ Van Garder ends up in the yellow jersey, maybe on stage three or maybe a little bit after stage three. Uh, you know, I don't want to get anybody's hopes too high, but that's a real possibility. That's very, very much of a possibility. You pointed that out today. Scanning the results sheets, we're like, oh, anymore, kind of figuring out who's where, who lost time, where people finished, who was around them. Like, going, hey, wait, there's TJ. 
you know, TJ came into, into this tour completely accepting his role as just a super domestic for Richie Port. You know, Richie Port didn't crash today. He kind of got bumped off the road and, and with that big spill with uh, Froome. Uh, didn't crash, but he, he, he they got split out because, you know, when it's 5Ks to go and the, and the bunch splits up, man, there's no coming back at that point. And so there's TJ, who, you know, is at an intimate contract. You know, he, he's uh, twice finished fifth. He's kind of had to accept his really demotion. You know, he was he was the future of that team. He couldn't quite back up, you know, twice fifth over three years. Couldn't quite deliver a podium. Couldn't quite step up and really fulfill his promise. Now he's 29 years old. And uh, suddenly, man, he might be in young jersey within a couple of days. Yeah, that could that could really happen. And then the pressure and then the, the media coverage from guys like you and me. I wonder what's going to happen with all that. But uh, you chatted with TJ a couple days ago, if I recall. Yeah, we talked to TJ at the uh, team press conference a couple days ago. And that future of that team is up in the air right now. You know, uh, BMC founder Andy Reese died this spring. Um, his family is not interested in continuing that legacy. Uh, the, the, the bike company existing is ex- will still exist, of course. But the title, here we go with the uh, kids doing laps here. Yeah, the, welcome uh, to France. Welcome hey. to France. I don't think that passed the uh, emissions control of those little yeah, scooters there. But they're having fun. But uh, so the, the team, of the, the future of that team is really up in the air. TJ's not quite sure where he's going to go. But he's right here. I mean, if he gets in the yellow jersey in a couple days, that might help his, uh, his, his chances to get a big contract next year. Let's hear what TJ has to say. Yeah, it, uh, it feels great to be back. I sat out the tour last year uh, to do the Giro and the Vuelta. Um, and yeah, those are my first time missing the tour since 2011. So uh, it definitely felt like there was a void in the season. So I'm def- it feels great to be back and really excited for it. What's special about the tour for you? What did you miss? Um, well, I was just just watching it on TV. You kind of, you know, when you're in the race, you kind of don't really realize how how big the race is. But when you sit it out and you're looking in, you realize like, wow, this really is the the pinnacle of cycling. So um, to to sit that out felt like I was, you know. Uh, it just it was a weird feeling. You've got a key role, obviously, with Richie. You probably you know, he's wingman in lots of ways. Yeah, uh, I mean, Richie's in great shape. He has a good shot um, to get on the podium in Paris, and I'm looking forward to being able to help him do that. If something happened to Richie, you have to be ready to step up. Just to... I'll do what I'm told. Uh, TJ, how was your condition coming into this race? I mean, you had uh, obviously racing with Richie part of the season. How are you feeling coming into the tour? Yeah, I feel good. Um, I wouldn't be coming here if I didn't think I was in shape. Yeah. The eight-man selection made it a little more dicey to get on the tour team this year, like in terms of making the, the squad. I don't know. I was never... Uh, I was never concerned. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I was one of the reserves. Right. And how does that change uh, the race, just having uh, eight guys instead of nine? Have you seen it? It makes it a little more space on the bus. Yeah? That's it? That's about it. A little more space in the road? Is it, do people say it's supposed to be safer with eight guys per team? Uh, we've, had, we've had reduced teams all year, and I've still seen 
fair share of crashes this year, so I don't think that makes any difference. Yeah. Team time trial, big chance for you guys, right? Should be. Um, yeah, we got a strong team, and you know we've uh, we saw in Tour of Swiss that uh, even that was only an 18k team time trial. We did some major damage, and this team time trial is going to be twice as long. I expect the squads to be a little stronger, a little bit more prepared, but um, you know we have to play to our strengths, and that's definitely one of them. How much time do you think a team like BMC or Team Sky can take out on some of these other GC guys that might not have a strong team? We don't calculate that kind of thing. We uh, we go out and give our best effort. We don't focus on what other people are doing, and then we'll we look at the results in the end and go from there. So it's kind of a, 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 a tour in two parts, really, isn't it? I mean, the, everyone says the real tour starts after Robay stage. Tour starts on stage one. I mean, any day is a chance to lose or gain major time. Um, we saw Vincenzo Nibli basically won his tour on stage five when the or when whatever stage that was when we had the cobbles. So um, yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, the, once the clock starts, it starts. So you're coming in completely as a helper role. There's, yeah. no, there's no plan TJ, plan B. No. Yeah. Is that something you like, or is it something just the way it is, or how do you take that on? I mean, it's different, but uh, no, it's it's certainly less pressure, and um, you know, when you have a leader like Richie, it's uh, it's a role that's it's easy to jump into. And how is it with the team? The team's future is kind of uncertain at this point. How you guys, is that affecting you guys at all right now? No. What, what do you do? Do you, how long do you guys wait for the team? Is there any word that the team's staying? I mean, there's a person released last week in gym saying that the team might carry on, but nothing's certain yet. I can't speak for my teammates, but uh, right now I haven't signed anything for next year. Um, but I'm, you know, I'd rather. Hopefully we get some news sooner than later. Is there? When does that sooner or later day come down? I'm not going to give you a date. August 1st is the uh, transfer window. Right. It's when it opens, so All right. there's that. Good stuff. Thanks. Yeah. So that was TJ Van Garderen. Uh, I think BMC generally expected to do very well on that team time trial, so Richie Port maybe is going to be able to get some of that time back uh, that he lost by getting caught behind the crash on that opening stage. Uh, the GC was, was the big story of the day. I mean, you didn't expect that to happen, but we should spare a moment for Fernando Gaviria winning that stage. Uh, it was a much-anticipated uh, Tour de France debut. Uh, Gaviria's been one of those kind of next big thing in sprinting for two, three years now. This is that long-awaited debut of the Tour de France, and right away he gets out there, wins the stage pretty convincingly. Yeah, it was impressive. I mean, when we saw him race in his last warm-up race in June, he didn't get a win. You know, he dominated the Tour of California, but in June he didn't get a win. And you know, I wasn't wasn't you know, no one really knows how these sprinters going to go. Every time we come into these uh, first sprint stages, it seems like every year one sprinter kind of emerges as the guy in the sprints. You know, it's been Kittle, it's been Cavendish, it's been Greipel, Christoph even a few years ago. Um, and it really looks like Gaviria really could be the guy because not only is he looking, you know, he won that stage easily today, but I mean, we were looking at the at the start list today, Dane, and it's really like uh, Quick Step is almost really the only team that brings 
a squad completely committed to a sprinter. Right, and one of the things we mentioned is that you know, nominally they have a GC rider, they have Bob Youngles who's you know hoping for like a top 10 or something like that, but even Bob Youngles today He was on pulling the front, 1K to go. Right, I mean he's a huge engine, big time trial guy, you love that kind of guy in front of you in the, in the lead out. So even if he's, uh, you know, supposed to be a lead out or a, a GC rider, he's going to be a big lead out man too. If you look around, you got teams like Katusha with uh, Kittle. They've also got Zachary and, uh, you know, you've got uh, some of these other big star teams like Dylan Grunewagen's had a great year, but that Lotto NL team's got Primoz Roglic. They've got Steven Kreisvik. So I think for Gaviria, he's got the speed and the team. We could see him win several more stages to come. Yeah. He could really give Sagat a run for the green jersey as well. I mean, uh, Gaviria is a guy who can get over the climbs as well, just as well as Sagan. It's going to be a big fight for those intermediate sprints yeah. and well for the, as well as for the green jersey because, you know, this is the first tour we've seen with eight riders per squad. And we saw what happened with some of the dynamics. We saw teams kind of make that bet, go all in for the GC. We saw that with uh, Mitchell and Scott. There wasn't room for Caleb Ewan, one of the big stories coming into this tour. And then here's Quickstep. I mean, what a great team. That team is just packed with stage winners. I mean, they're not going to win. They're going to win the tour. There's no way they're going to win the tour. Maybe, like you said, top 10 for Youngles for yeah. Youngles but man it's like those guys are going to be out there lighting it up almost every day yeah I mean as soon as the road goes up you got Alaphilippe Gilbert and Youngles uh, there's a stage coming up the Mio de Bretagne stage where they could definitely have two or three guys up the there the Roubaix stage yeah and the, obviously the Roubaix stage where they have so many so many potential winners for that so a lot of stage runners on that team uh, and I think one big thing for Gavidia you, you kind of mentioned it going into the tour we don't know who is the best sprinter. Even the guys who've been doing well coming up to the tour, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do well in the biggest race in the world. I mean, if you do well in California, does that, does that really mean you know you're going to do well in the Tour de France? But after that first stage win, it's like all of a sudden, everybody, everything gets recalibrated. And now it seems like Avidia, okay, he's the guy. And he's the guy to beat from here on out. So definitely, I think, ex- expect to see more Fernando Gaviria. Uh, and what, what a great Tour de France. Think about it. It's his first day in the Tour de France. Yeah. He, he, he wins the stage, takes the yellow jersey. It's only the second yellow jersey for Colombia. <laughs> Nairo's never had the yellow right? jersey. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. This guy's he's a banger. Yeah, he's, a dream. He's, he's a big star. And just 23 years old, I think. So yeah. uh, bright, bright future stuff. I mean, there's, this could be years of this. And, he, and you know, he was expected to have a big spring this year. He had an injury, missed the whole spring classics. And man, he's coming out just really ready to rock this uh, Tour de France. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. So that's that's the the cool racing news from today. And there's a lot of it. But of course, the big story going into this Tour de France. I mean, it's unavoidable. Was, was Chris Froome and and the case, which has been closed. Uh, but but it was uh, was much talked about, obviously for for very obvious reasons and ad nauseum. Ad nauseum, I would say. Yeah, I think you're right there. David Lapartian was uh, at the start today. The, uh, the president of the UCI, and he has had some things to say over the last week about the case. They've, they've tried to um, you know provide some answers for the rabid media as we go after uh, you know asking questions that need to be asked. Uh, but Lapartian was there today to maybe answer a couple of the questions that the media had. Yeah, I mean, Lapartian was making the rounds this morning. Uh, we spotted him. A few other journalists swooped in there and uh, had a chance to uh, just ask a few questions to him. I mean, Lapartian, you know, 
uh, you know, so many people start to pile on the UCI. They're piling on, uh, piling on the, piling on WADA. They're criticizing Froome. In this case, it's really just kind of cracked open. this kind of uh, the facade around all this anti-doping stuff. There's been a lot of questions, really, about the legitimacy, not only of the salbutamol test, but also just of the larger anti-doping movement. In the sense of, if you get a large uh, a big star with a lot of money and some great lawyers. I mean, Froome had arguably the best sports lawyer backing him. Um, and they started just to poke holes in the case with the Salbutamol. And what's been frustrating in the aftermath, of course, is this, this kind of sense of this opaqueness that we really don't even quite understand exactly the science behind what happened with the Chris Froome decision. It was interesting, though, like, like La Partienne today said, that his initial gut was to release all the information. There was a 34-page dossier that he created to kind of create uh, not quite a reasoned decision because there wasn't an anti-doping case, but kind of the rationale behind why they made their decision. And he said he wanted to release this information, but he was saying that that decision is based finally on, on, the, on, the, on the athlete has to make that, to sign off on that. But he also said there's so much sensitive information in this dossier that they felt that cheaters could read this thing and figure out how to get around some of these doping controls, which was a kind of a new twist that he said today. And he also said that the UCI confirmed this when I asked him. He said they spent 250,000 Swiss francs on the Froome case. Ooh. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he said himself, he goes, you know, that's money I would rather use to be promoting uh, uh, cycling in Africa. Right, right. I mean, you could sponsor a pretty good uh, women's team with that. Sure. A lot of things you could do with development of the sport. But that's part of what we live, the world that we live in today. And it's been so many, there's almost been as many questions raised as has been answered. Right. Here's what uh, the UCI president had to say this morning. Uh, a few questions I had a chance to ask him before the start of uh, Saturday stage. There's also the case with Cardoso. Yeah. There's been lots of questions about that, and there hasn't been really a comment from the UCI about that case. Is there anything you can say about uh, well, no, the, 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 the Cardozo case is, is, is another, uh, of course, another case. Uh, I will not comment specifically at the, at the moment, but we'll make also some comments on this, uh, on this case. I saw some article in which uh, they said, you know, there is justice for, for rich and or another justice. But the case, we have to take each case um, specifically. This is not the same, uh, uh, the same case with, uh, with, with Cardozo. And the UCI is all always strict uh, on the rules uh, and the other point is I'm not you know uh, involved even if I know that for a lot of uh, of spectators and fans this is each time it the decision of the UCI of course yes uh, but it's also based on the uh, on the regulations uh, on on the uh, uh, on the rights of uh, of the riders and and the the, the UCI regulation, so um, we will we will give more details when we will have uh, the analysis. But uh, to be honest, we were more focused on another case last week and this week. Is there uh, a perception though that that some people think that if you're a strong and influential rider with very good lawyers, you get a different treatment than if you're a rider who doesn't have the best legal purpose? That's what Nibali said yesterday. Yes. Is it double standards? Maybe from got one treatment and other riders. You, you know, you know that uh, the, we have two points on this. The first one is everybody will have the same treatment, for sure. In the UCI, there is no exception. Everybody has exactly the same treatment. But uh, what is also sure, and it's not, 
in the, only in, in cycling, not only in sport, but also in politics, in economy. If you have more money, sometimes you can have more lawyers uh, and more experts, and this can sometimes help you to, to try to, to prove that you are not, uh, not guilty. It's not specifically to, to one or another rider, but the rules from the institution are exactly the same. But of course, if you provide with only one lawyer four sheets of paper, and if you have uh, so many experts uh, and if we provide big files, uh, we have to study uh, everything and that's at some time a little bit, uh, a little bit different. But from the UCI, uh, we are really working carefully. Uh, you have uh, an interesting article in, uh, in L'Equipe today about, the, uh, about uh, all, all this and, and that what is inside it, I think it's, it's, it's very close to what is the situation. And we explained also yesterday, you probably saw our statement, just to explain it to more details, I would say, for, for people who want to exactly know what is, uh, what is behind. And I can really tell you that uh, we, are, uh, we have the same rules for everybody, but I know that sometimes the perception of the fans, even of some riders, sometimes it's that uh, if you are a strong rider, it will be uh, maybe maybe different. That's completely completely false. But you know, even for us uh, uh, to follow some uh, some pressure like this, uh, it's it's also uh, a, a lot of uh, investment from the UCI. Just for other thing. the case of the from case cost uh, more than two hundred and fifty thousand uh, uh, euro to the UCI. Swiss franc, Swiss franc, Swiss franc, yeah. uh, 255,000 uh, uh, Swiss franc for the UCI. So just to to, um, to follow the, the case, to answer to the experts, so uh, that, that's also, uh, I prefer to have this money invest in development in cycling in Africa, you know, but that's part of the justice. What is the, the budget for the legal department for the UCI? How, uh, how is that set aside? Uh, we have, you know, we have two legal departments. We have the, the, the legal department for everything, I would say, except anti-doping. And after we have the legal anti-doping service of the UCI. That's completely two different services, not, not the same head. We have, uh, uh, and uh, I don't know exactly the cost here, but uh, I, I, I think uh, with the lawyer, with this, it's maybe close to one million. And you said, excuse me, just one quick question. You said in an interview, I believe, yesterday with the AFP, you said this is a before and after with the Froome case. That you're hoping for some changes. What kind of changes are you expecting to see? But the cha I was more maybe speaking more about the World Developing Agency, N not for the UCI in itself, because our procedures are solid. But the, uh, we need also to be sure that the test and, and all this salbutamol uh, uh, um, uh, situation will be. Uh, uh, they will have a look after this because, of course, you know, uh, that's why I said there will be a, a before a Chris from case and an after because what is sure in this case that, that there is a, uh, a debate and something to, to resolve around the tramadol to be more, more strong on the procedure. And that's, I know that the WADA, uh, they will discuss and deal with this in the next executive board. Uh, and for sure, they have to look after this. When you've got some, uh, uh, some experts and the guy that launched this test, as he said, I made a mistake uh, on this, uh, you have to take some, uh, some decisions. So uh, we are, you know, the, the, the UCI is a policeman, uh, but we, we don't build the, the uh, 
the instrument uh, to 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 to, uh, to catch the riders. This is not our job. So if there is a problem with this, that's uh, up to the uh, to the water to 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 have a look on this. So regarding the cost, so each part paid the own cost, UCI, water yes. and, and, and Chris Room, yeah. So it wasn't several million euros or anything, no? I, to be honest, I don't know the cost of the other parts. I know the cost of the UCI and we are transparent. It's 255,000 Swiss floor for us. I don't know at all the cost for Chris Room and for the water. I heard so many things about the cost for Sky, so that will not be, uh, uh, I don't know. And, and I'm sure they will not tell me uh, what, what were their, their costs. Regarding the verdict, mm. would it be possible to have maybe the 30 page uh, final sentence? So because the UCI sent out a lot of information, but mm. um, and they talked, people said, oh, well, some of the information is uh, reserved because it's, you know, uh, special studies by water. Yeah. But I think the public want more information, more transparency mm. by everybody. But you not publish the 30 page uh, verdict? something that, or maybe uh, redact the details which are we have that's why we we made this statement yesterday with uh, we go uh, as far as it was possible for us uh, what is sure is uh, the UCI is not allowed to publish this document uh, in fact only the writer is, is able but uh, we also understand that it's it's maybe not possible and the is fact that an is agreement no 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 but but uh, but the fact is uh, you have maybe in this document some uh, information that can be used by some people that want to cheat. Uh, so uh, that's why I don't think it's very uh, um, interesting for for, uh, for to, to publish this uh, this, uh, this document. Even if uh, my first uh, uh, thought was to say, okay, we have no problem on this. This is clear and, 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 and transparent. Uh, so there, it's a 34 pages. Uh, statement and that's why yesterday we decided to make this uh, five pages I would say a resume uh, just for, for, for the fans or for the journalists to have more more information about uh, uh, about the case. David um, this uh, this whole issue is obviously very complicated and detailed and takes or requires time um, but in the meantime you know there there are I guess uh, cycling fans who are becoming disillusioned and uh, you know, second-guessing whether they should continue following the sport, etc. Well, what's your message to those who are on the cusp of possibly thinking I've had enough? Uh, I, I will tell them, please continue to follow this sport because uh, we are the, the sport of anti-doping. Uh, we are the cleaner sport. Uh, and because we are, we are fighting against doping. And of course, when you are fighting, you can, you can, uh, you, you can find something. Uh, we have strong procedures on, on this, and uh, on this uh, on this case, of course, uh, we had to follow the statement from the World Anti-Doping Agency. You know the statement that we received on the 28th of June, in which they said that the, the explanation were from Chris Prom, uh, the the WADA agreed with the uh, explanation from Chris Prom. Uh, second point, uh, the. Um, Stample from Chris Froome does not constitute an anti-doping rule violation. So, with this, I have no choice than to close uh, the, the the case. Uh, but you know, if you have a look on cycling to, uh, uh, 20 years ago uh, and today, you really see some 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 true cycling, uh, some true cycling today. I know that this case is is uh, you know at the top on the on the media and and the resume for for a lot of fans is oh it's still the same. Uh, no, it's not still the same. Uh, our, we are 
uh, one third of the uh, of the uh, of the tests for the uh, biological passport in the world are in cycling. We are doing all what we can do. Uh, we are, you know, the Thacking Anti-Doping Foundation is working very well. We have seven million uh, Swiss francs invested by the stakeholders to fight against doping. Nobody else is doing this. Regarding the tramadol and the corticoid, uh, we asked many times to the WADA to put these substances on the list. Unfortunately, for the moment, without success. So we decided at the last management committee from the UCI to put this not on the list. It's not. It's not our mission, and we can't do this. But to to deal with the uh, with the health and to take uh, with the aptitude uh, medicine. And so uh, this will be forbidden on the 1st of, uh, of January next year. So really, uh, we are in front of the bunch on, uh, on, on this and we will continue to fight, even if I know that with this case, uh, there, there is some time adopt uh, from the funds toward the institution and, and, and of course the UCI. So that was uh, UCI President David Lapartion, who uh, he was out there today. But I think, you know, you brought it up at the start of the show, how many fans were there? And I think there was some concern, given all this stuff about Chris Froome and the case and, and Bernardino riling people up that, that uh, you know, first of all, maybe the fans wouldn't turn out. But second of all, the fans might be hostile. And while there were some boos at the start of the race, I felt like the, the reception of the fans today was pretty good. It seemed like people were pretty excited to have the tour here. And despite all of the, you know, the ugliness, uh, even, of the last couple of weeks, it seems like people have been willing to kind of put that aside to celebrate the tour, which is nice. Well, I, th I think that people also need to understand exactly what the Tour de France means to France. Uh, I think a lot of us who are bike fans or we follow the sport very closely, we get all wrapped up in the actual competition. You know, who wins the race, who wins the tour, and all these you know, nitty-gritty details of the, of the day-in, day-out racing. But for the larger French public, this is kind of like a pastime to them. You know, they, it's a generational thing. This has been dating back to the early 1900s. More than a century now, the Tour de France has been weaving around the country. And it's really something that, you know, it's unique to sport, but it's something that's very close to the heart of the French public. And I think we saw that today. It's like, you know, do they really care? you know, what happens with the race sometimes. Right. You have to wonder, are they out there for the publicity caravan? They're out there to have a barbecue. They're out there to bring their grandson to say, hey, you know, there goes Alberto Contador, there goes uh, Peter Sagan. And that's something that goes from generation to generation to generation. And uh, that's something that's always stared at me over the many years I've been covering the sport is that the public, it's, it's more than just a bike race. It's like this, it's something that's kind of really ingrained in the culture of France. Yeah. Um, we have plenty of racing to come. And we have plenty of sprinter-friendly stages, but also some team time trial action coming up soon. We have that cobbled stage, Mira de Bretagne. Uh, although the mountains aren't going to be here for another nine stages, I think there's plenty of action in the next couple of days to keep an eye on. Uh, and I think we also have some beers to go drink, maybe. So, uh, you ready to get out of here? Let's get out of here. All right, thanks for listening. That's the Vell News Podcast. See you next time. All right, good night. Thanks. <laughs>